0: Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? And we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? So, how do you live well today? In this series of Logos Live, Words to Live By, we offer practical and helpful advice to help us live and thrive in Melbourne. And today, we're thinking about science. Can we live by science alone? A word for Richard Dawkins. And to help us, we had the Reverend Dr. Chris Mulheron join us. Chris is Executive Officer at ISCAST, an organization for Christians in Science, and he also has a PhD exploring the relationship between science and religion. So please welcome. Chris Mulheron. Thank you. Chris, welcome to Logos Live. Thanks, Rob. Now, what made you interested in the relationship between science and Christianity?
1: I went to church from a young age, yep. but I became a Christian at university. Mm-hmm. But I also had a sort of mechanical bent. I studied mechanical engineering, liked fixing my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two things, if you like, the sort of science, mechanical side of life – And the Christian spiritual side of life were never separate for me. Yeah. Uh, They grew together and I never saw conflict. Mm -hmm. So they
0: just kept growing together. And so enough to spend several years of your life devoted to a PhD? Well, yes. I
1: did move from mechanical engineering eventually to uh, theology and philosophy. Yep. And I got very interested in the nature of science, Mm -hmm. how science works, is there a scientific method, uh, those sorts of questions. And then more in the relationship between science and Christian faith. What was it that made you particularly interested in exploring that further? Well, I think it's what you might call an apologetic interest, actually, because while I never found a conflict between science and faith, and many, many uh, Christians who are scientists don't, it's quite obvious that in the big world out there, lots of people seem to think there is a fundamental conflict between Mm. science and faith. And our uh, absent guest speaker today, uh, (laughs) Richard Dawkins, is the most prominent person promoting that view that there is a fundamental conflict. I don't see a conflict, and I think it's very important for Christians and the Christian church to realise that there is no
0: conflict. Or for people who aren't Christians to realise there's a conflict. And
1: for people who aren't Christians to realise that believing in Mainstream science should not be a stumbling block mm. to considering Christianity.
0: Mm. Well, indeed, Richard Dawkins, who's possibly the world's most famous atheist, claims that religion and science are locked in this mortal conflict. And it's been 10 years since the publication of his best-selling book, The God Delusion, which sold over 3 million copies. What did you make of the book? Well,
1: I don't think The God Delusion is Richard Dawkins' best book. Right. In fact, I think it's a fairly poor book. Now, I'm speaking from memory because it's at least five years since I've actually opened it and read it, Okay. so uh, if you're going to test me on the book, I might get the answers wrong. Well, right. <laughs> funny you should say that
0: because now, we do try to have a bit of fun on Logos Live and today we're talking with Reverend Dr. Chris Malheron about science and providing a word for Richard Dawkins. So, in today's quiz, I am going to test you on how well you know the God delusion, and you have to keep the book shut, please. So, the first question, so to whom does Richard Dawkins dedicate the God delusion. Is it A, Douglas Adams, B, Charles Darwin, C, the Pope, or D, the Apostle Thomas, the great religious skeptic?
1: It would have to be one or two. I'd guess 42, Douglas Adams.
0: <laughs> Douglas Adams. The correct answer is 42, Douglas Adams. Yes, yes, you're well done. Okay, the second question. So you're going to pass. So you can relax. You can relax. This is going to be the hardest part of this. I am relieved. Oh, good. good. Okay, which of these is not a quote from The God Delusion? Is it A, isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? Is it B, when it comes to facts and explanations of facts, science is the only game in town? C, as a scientist, I am hostile to fundamentalist religion because it actively debauches the scientific enterprise? Or D, I strongly believe in God and live my life on the assumption that he is there. B is
1: not a quote from The God Delusion because it is a quote from Daniel Dennett. Right. When it comes to facts and explanations of facts, science is the only game in town. Daniel Dennett said that very foolishly, I think. Right. Uh, another philosopher and one of the horsemen of the apocalypse of the new atheism. Okay. And I think he was badly wrong and he shoots himself in
0: the foot when he says that. Okay. But anyway. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. The answer is actually B... Congratulations, it was a quote of Daniel Dennett, who's another leading atheist. Answer D, which may have confused some, actually shows the importance of putting a quote in context, because Dawkins does say that he does believe in God and lives his life on the assumption that he's there when he's outlining a spectrum of possibilities. Uh, regarding the certainty of the existence of God. So I think it's like anything that's important to understand context. You see,
1: I wasn't even listening carefully by, by the time you got to <laughs> oh, D. Right, right. I, I knew I'm it wasn't sure B, was so that, I didn't listen to did D. anybody in the audience <laughs> think it was
0: D? Anyone in the audience, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. a lot of people in the audience was D. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, you need to read the book a bit more closely. So congratulations, Chris. You did very well. You got two out of two. You got 100%. You are a God delusion expert. Please. Oh. Round of applause. So, as you've talked about, is science the only game in town when it comes to facts and explanation of facts?
1: Well, of course it's not. I (laughs) guess I want to say two things about that. One is the logical problem of making that statement. It's it's the problem of – it's also like the problem of relativism. If somebody wants to make a statement to claim that it's a fact that science is the only game in town – they have to realize that that is not a scientific statement. Mm. Therefore, they're making a claim that is not a scientific claim, and their claim is that only scientific claims need to be accepted. So it's, self-refuting. So it's a self refuting statement. Mm. Yes.
0: Uh, so you could say that only science is the only game in town, except for the statement that says that science is the only game in town.
1: Well, you could say that, but then you're getting into some peculiar sort of exceptionalism. Right, yeah, logical contradictions. And coming and from a philosopher like Daniel Dennett, that's a foolish thing to say, yeah. but I guess he says it for the public impact. He didn't write that in one of his philosophical works. It was... Quoted in a newspaper article. Yep. Uh, but more seriously, mm. science is not the only game in town because science can't give us answers to what human beings mostly call the most important questions of life. Such as? The most important questions of life are about meaning
0: mm-hmm.
1: and about purpose, not about mechanisms and particles. Science is Brilliant at giving us answers about mechanisms and particles. Mm -hmm. Science is exciting. Science reveals the truth about the world we live in. Science is a wonderful thing. Mm. But it has its areas of expertise, and its areas of expertise do not tell us why we are here, whether love matters, whether I should cheat on my wife or not. It doesn't tell us about morality, purpose, meaning, those sorts of questions – and they
0: are very important questions for most human beings. Mm. So there's some limits to science and what science can do. Yes. So well, maybe before we go any further, maybe we think about what exactly is science? We're well, about science.
1: that's another good question because many people just assume we've been using the, the singular of the word science. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no science. There are sciences... And to a greater or lesser extent, they have family resemblances. So you might – mostly, I guess, when we talk science, people think of uh, physics, chemistry, biology, and all of that sort of thing. Um, If you're a physicist, you might say, well, biology really just boils down to chemistry. And we all know chemistry just boils down to physics. So physics is really the only science there is. And a pure mathematician might raise an eyebrow and say, hmm. So there are different sorts of sciences. Is history a science? Is economics a science? Is psychology a science? Uh, Where does medicine, when it um, blurs into psychiatry, well, is that still a science like a person working on, on cancer cells? There is no one science.
0: But then couldn't we adopt what is known as the scientific method? So in A Devil's Chaplain, Richard Dawkins explains to his daughter how we gain true knowledge of the world, and he basically describes the scientific method. So he says, scientists, the specialists in discovering what is true about the world and the universe, work like detectives. They make a guess called a hypothesis about what might be true. Then they say to themselves, if that were really true, we ought to see so-and-so. This is called a prediction. And then Dawkins and outlines how we go into test predictions, and the result of this is evidence, and evidence is good reasons for believing in something. So, isn't the scientific method a good and reliable way of knowing what's true and right in the world?
1: That sounds very nice. And in some, in some areas of science, that works better than others. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more that most people would think was true and right in the world that goes beyond that. Did Julius Caesar exist? Well, let's question it. Let's work out what hypothesis we can have that then leads to a prediction that we can test. Mm-hmm. There's no prediction that we can test for the existence of Julius Caesar. Does that mean that the question of Julius Caesar's existence is not either true or false? No, it just means it's a different we, – we access the truth of the existence of Julius Caesar in a different sort of way to the way we access the truth of whether this is a certain sort of cell or not and whether it's going to do this or that if we grow it in a but test tube.
0: You, but you could say well, Julius Caesar is going to have writings or there's archaeological artefacts, et cetera, that shows that he, he
1: exists. Well, yes, but I guess I'm pointing to Richard Dawkins saying we develop a theory that has predictions that we can then test the predictions. How do you test the predictions about Julius Caesar? How do you test the predictions... Uh, How do you develop predictions about many of the things that we think are true and right? For example, let's go into a more extreme case, morality. Is it true and right – I'm using the words true and right because I think that was Dawkins' words – is it true and right that it's wrong to torture to death innocent three-year-old girls – Most of us would say, yes, it's true and right. Of course, it's wrong to torture to death innocent three-year-old girls. Good. Okay. Well, let's work out a hypothesis and a prediction that will prove that. Mm. That's just not the way you do morality. Mm. Yet a lot of people would say, it's true and wrong to torture to death innocent human Mm. children.
0: So what other games are in town then when it comes to working out facts? Well,
1: I'd like to turn the question around. I'd like to turn it around and question the whole nature of science because in the model of science that we've received, we have this idea of objectivity that virtually rules out the human judgment Mm -hmm. involved in science. But every scientist knows that there are judgment calls involved in science. You know, Einstein at 16 years old makes a judgment call about light and relativity and the universe – He is convinced that things are a certain way and others are convinced they're not. And in the long run, he was proven right. Mm -hmm. His judgment call was proven right. Proven, I use in inverted commas. So science is a very human pursuit, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that it's not on about the truth of the real world. But every single scientific judgment ever made in history has been made by a human being who effectively
0: says, this is what I believe to be true. Well, this is what Richard Dawkins says in his quote when he says that they make a guess called a hypothesis. So this is your, what you're suggesting is a judgment call.
1: Yes, and there
0: are better and worse judgment calls. Yeah.
1: At the moment in these decades, we see a vigorous debate going on about climate change. Yeah. Because the experts on climate change in the world have made a judgment call that human beings are causing climate change. Now their judgment call is based on their deep experience, their lots of research, their lots of conversations with each other and reading academic articles. They are the experts and the expert judgment call on climate change is human beings are causing it. Other people, mostly who have no idea about climate change, are saying, well, no, I don't think we're causing climate change. They've made their judgment call. Mm -hmm. But there are two different sorts of judgment calls at work there. One comes out of the expertise of those who are immersed in the field and ought to be paid attention to, although I can't prove that either. Mm. And one comes from a group of people who are mostly not climate scientists. Now, Maybe there's some little room for argument, but the fact is the experts in the field are basically agreed about climate change, Mm.
0: the big picture. So basically you're saying that scientific knowledge is based on fallible human judgments. Yes, and we don't like that because we've been brought up with
1: this idea that science is totally objective Mm. and leads to absolute truth and you can prove it. Mm. But if you go and ask any climate scientist in the world, prove to me that human beings are causing climate change, they'll say, well, that's not quite how it works. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says, with a 97.5% degree of confidence, we think human beings are causing global warming, dangerous global warming. But that's not proof in that sort of certain sense. In fact, to quote quote one Christian and uh, mathematician, John Lennox, uh, John Lennox says, well, proof is really, that sort of proof is, nonsensical in science perhaps in pure mathematics you can talk about that sort of proof but basically going down that prove it line is not fruitful in science Mm. test yes test things yes i'm not arguing against testing things and and being as objective as you can but you can never eliminate the human element Mm.
0: so then how do we gain reliable information about the world
1: We do these testing, this, all, all, all what I've been talking about, and I've given you the example of climate change, but we could take any example, whether we talk about any of the sciences, in inverted commas, we become experts, we talk to each other, we make judgments, we test each other's theories, we show each other why this theory doesn't work and this one does. And those who are committed to finding the truth, our belief is science progresses in that sense it progresses towards greater and greater confidence about what the truth is mm. but that's not proof that we are 100% sure what makes good evidence then well it depends on the field yeah good evidence for the fact that my wife loves me or that um so and so has got nk cell lymphoma or that god exists They're all different sorts of evidence because evidence has to accommodate – you have to accommodate what you expect of evidence according to the field you're dealing with. Mm. Uh, Evidence in morality is very different to evidence in physics. Mm.
0: So can we live by – or should we live by evidence?
1: Well, it depends what you mean by the word. If if by the word you mean what is normally meant, which is evidence in the natural sciences – Mm-hmm. No, we have to go by a lot more than that, mm. and uh, my wife would expect me to go by a lot more than that when she says, "I love you." Please believe I love you. Right? Um, she you know, would you know. not expect me to get out test tubes or to say, <laughs> "Okay, I want." Uh, there's a good hypothesis. I now am going to set up a whole series of tests, predictions, and see how you perform. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that that would be good for our well, relationship. Well, I'm not sure what sort of control group you'd use. Like, <laughs> well, how,
0: how would you sort of say, okay, I'm this week I'm not going to love you. I just want to see, that's right. I'm yes, going to treat you this yes. way and see what, if you really do love me. That's right. That's I'll, right.
1: That's, that's even assuming we can define what, what that word love, what means, love means in yeah. a rigorous scientific well, way. Well, that's
0: a, that's a very different thing. So, so you don't really think that people live by science alone? No. They don't live by science alone. Mm. Well, as part of Logos Live, we reflect on the scriptures, the Logos, and we're going to examine some wisdom found in a potentially surprising source, which is the Bible. But before we do that, we're interested to hear why you believe the scriptures are worth following, so, Chris. So what convinced you to become a Christian believer? You've outlined a little bit of your story before, but what was it that particularly convinced you to become a Christian believer?
1: I think that uh, the short answer to the question is and framing it in a scientific sort of a way, <laughs> I think that Christianity is an inference to the best explanation. Yeah. I think Christianity makes by far the most sense of the world yeah. that we live in. It's a controversial a, statement to say that. That's right. I'm happy to justify it at greater length, but uh, won't that, be able to do minutes. it in the time <laughs> we have here. I think it, makes, uh, it puts science... It it values science, for example. It has a place for science, and all that scientists do, there's no problem with that. But it also offers explanations of both the good and the bad in the world. Uh, It offers explanations of morality. In short, it's an inference to the best explanation. Now, that is not... uh, a comment on my personal experience. I also have personal experience of being a Christian believer. Experiences that I would say are experiences of God. Uh, all of those things go into a big uh, sort of cumulative, if you want to put it again in scientific philosophical terms. It's a cumulative argument mm. that convinces me that Christianity
0: is the truth. Mm. Well, the question has come in, which I can just feed into that, because some say that parts of the Bible are incompatible with the current scientific consensus. How would you respond in 20 seconds? Sorry, (laughs) 20 seconds is impossible, but but how would you respond? No,
1: it's not impossible. I think it depends how you read them, and you ought to read parts of the Bible in terms of the original genre, the original type of literature that they are. If you read them as a scientific textbook, you will find conflict, but the Bible was never written as a scientific textbook, 19 seconds.
0: Excellent. That's very good. That's what we want. (laughs) Now, the part of the Bible that we're looking at today is found in the Gospel according to John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have. And the section that we're looking at today, we encounter one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, who was not... Dedicated to, the, to the, in Richard Dawkins' book, uh, the disciple Thomas, who was sceptical of the claims of his friends that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that they'd seen the Lord, his scepticism is understandable, don't you think?
1: I do. Some claims are extraordinary claims, and in a, you know there is that saying, extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. Mm-hmm. But I think that the Christian life is also like that. There are ups and downs. There are sometimes when you are utterly confident that god is at your side and and there are other times when you cry out and you say are you there
0: god what's mm. going on that's not necessarily uh, a bad thing mm. in those moments when you're crying out do you feel that god is still the inference to the best explanation
1: i don't feel it no but i still believe it mm-hmm. my feelings go up and down uh with all sorts of things But my deep conviction has never wavered that when you look at the big picture, God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ,
0: the God of the Bible, makes the most sense. Hmm. Well, Thomas then demands evidence that Jesus was raised when he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So could you say that Thomas's demand for this type of evidence is somewhat scientific? I would say it's more
1: existential, probably. Right. I think Thomas. What do you is... mean by existential? I well, I think Thomas—it's a cry from the heart rather than a cry from the mind. Right. Um, Thomas has lost his his Lord. He's lost the one that he followed, and he's extraordinarily confused about what's going on. These mm. disciples had put their hope in Jesus, and he had let them down badly by being crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Thomas is in shock and disbelief. So I think that while his expression is sort of can can be portrayed as a scientific, you know, I need to see the evidence. Mm. Actually, it's a cry from the heart, I think. Mm. And Jesus responds to the cry from the heart by saying a week later... Here I am. Come and put your fingers in my side, and you'll see it's really me.
0: Well, that's what but I'm says, not yeah. sure it's a, it's a demand for uh, evidence. It's a model of the scientific method. <laughs> okay, right. Well, in verse 27, Jesus does appear and says to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. So, was what Jesus presented good evidence to believe?
1: I think Jesus presented himself. Mm hmm. And knowing Thomas well, he knew the word that Thomas needed, which was, get a grip, Thomas. It's really me. Let's move on. Yeah. And it's interesting that he says, stop doubting and believe. I think there are two sorts of doubt. There's the sort of honest wrestling doubt that seeks the truth, Mm. and there is the doubt that Really is not interested in the truth if it happens to lie in the direction of Jesus. And therefore, it's more appropriately called skepticism, a sort of chronic skepticism. Well, hyper skepticism. Hyper skepticism that will keep on asking the question, well, prove it. Can you prove it? Can you prove it? And that just closes down all moving forward, all progression in terms of uh, coming to, uh, opening yourself up to the truth wherever it lies.
0: So, what would you say then to the hyper skeptic? Someone who says, prove it, prove it, prove it,
1: prove it. Well, I'd, I'd talk about climate change. I'd talk about um, the love they have for their spouse or their partner. I, I'd talk about areas of life that they live where they don't have that sort of proof. I'd, I'd, yeah, and if it were Richard Dawkins, if I might bring Professor Dawkins back Sure, yeah. It. In one book, one of his earlier books, one of his books where he's expounding the wonders of science, he talks about the sort of universe that we live in and he talks about it being a pitiless universe where there is no good and there is no evil. Now that's Richard Dawkins coming from his ruthlessly sort of uh, science and nothing but science position. But if you listen to the Richard Dawkins of the God delusion, the Richard Dawkins of the last decade, here we have a moral crusader crusading against the evils of religion Mm. now there's a contradiction there isn't there between the crusader who's crusading against evil and the person who said a couple of decades earlier there is no good there is no evil we live in a pitiless universe indifferent to good and evil and yet he's so wound up Mm. morally this is a man who believes in good and evil the Richard Dawkins that we see on the world stage. Mm. And yet, theoretically, coming from just his science, he can't believe in good and evil. Mm. So there I think you have an example of somebody holding on to a science-alone view that doesn't
0: fit with their real existential living as a human being. Mm. Now, we can't physically put our hands in Jesus' side. So what do you make of the next statement Jesus makes in verse 29? where He says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed?
1: Well, most most Christians in history have not seen Jesus face to face, and yet they have put faith in him. They do believe that the person who died and rose again 2,000 years ago in Palestine was the Lord, the Son of God, was the revelation of God to human beings. The one way that God could communicate in a way that we understood mm. So most of us haven't met him face-to-face in that sense, and yet most of us believe. So I guess that's what Jesus is talking about, Mm. you know. Blessed are all those
0: who don't get the chance that Thomas had Mm. to shake hands or poke him in the (laughs) ribs. So Chris, we did invite Professor Dawkins to join us here today, but he's unable to make it because of health reasons. So what words do you have for him? Can we live by science alone? Well... If I had a private word
1: with Professor Dawkins, not a public word, I would ask him why he's so angry at religious people. I would tease him out a little bit because I suspect I would probably agree with a lot of the things he thinks about the evils of religion or the importance of his relationship with his daughter. I would like to convince him that actually most of the religious people I know are not like the caricature of the religious people that he attacks, I would like to try and open a door to him to think, well, maybe to be religious isn't necessarily to be like the stereotype that he has
0: of religious people. Let me leave you with the Logos from the day from John 2027, which says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live. Please thank our guest today, Chris Mulherin. <laughs>